2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. And it's, it's on page 1049, 1049, 1049. But we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught whether by what we said or what we wrote. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. In addition, brothers and sisters, pray for us, that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured, just as it was with you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen and guard you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to God's love and Christ's endurance. Truths that we read this afternoon and plant them deep in our hearts by your spirit so that we may stand firm as we wait for your son to return. In Jesus' name, amen. Growing up in Sydney, I used to love catching the ferries across Sydney Harbour. I remember one time I was travelling from Manly to Sydney. Um, it started off fine, but it then went horribly wrong. As we travelled out of the protection of North Head, the ferry was hit by a surging swell from the open sea, and the captain over the speaker said, the seas are fairly strong, you might want to hold on to something. Can I say that was a very large understatement? It was horrific. The ferry felt like a football being tossed on the wind and the waves. The passengers inside were being thrown left to right. All I could do was hold tight, pray, and hope that I keep my lunch down. A 20-minute journey lasted a lifetime. Before that day, I have to admit, I've never kissed the ground before. But when we made it onto solid and stable ground in one piece, that's what I did. All I wanted to be was secure and stable. It taught me a very important lesson. That stability is one of the most attractive words. That's because we all share this deep desire for stability. It's part of our human nature. We look for stability in our relationships, in our jobs, even in our own identity. And we yearn for stability because it gives us confidence to live today and face the uncertainties of tomorrow. 
But friends, what happens when your stability is taken away? Has that ever happened to you? Uh, That job that was watertight dries up. That person whom you trust takes advantage of you. That loved one that you have been praying for doesn't get healed. When you're wracked with guilt because you have let people down or you're filled with shame because you've fallen into sin again. See, it's a simple truth that people are unpredictable. Life is uncertain. And we are far more fragile than we would like to admit. In fact, the Bible warns against this instability in life. It describes this feeling as being tossed back and forth by the wind and the waves. Like me in that ferry, holding on tight, trying to keep my lunch down, praying to God. So friends, where do you find stability? Uh, John Stott, the Christian writer, says this, Stability is due entirely to confidence in the stability of God's loving purpose. It's only because God is steadfast that we can be steadfast too. So whether you call yourself a Christian or not this afternoon, we all share this deep need for stability. And the good news of the Bible is that God doesn't say, just doesn't just say, be stable. He offers us the true source of stability. That's his son, Jesus. Today we're continuing our series in 2 Thessalonians. It was originally a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a young church in Thessalonica. They were doing it tough. Remember two weeks ago, they were being persecuted for their faith. Last week, we saw that false teaching had crept into the church and was leading people astray. And every time, Paul has pointed them forward to the return of Jesus so that they may live their life today with confidence as they view their life in light of his return and eternity. And so it's caused this question bubbling up inside of us. That's great, Paul. But how will they stand firm as they wait for Jesus to return? And that's the big question I want you to think about today. How will you stand firm as you wait for Jesus? We're going to cut our three, our reading three ways today. In verses 13 to 14, there's a motivation to stand firm. In verse 15, there's a command to stand firm. And chapter 3, verse 5, there's an example of standing firm. So let's jump into our first point. As we face uncertainty in this world, as we wait for Jesus, how do you know that God loves you? How do you know that he will keep you secure until the end? Have a look at verse 13. But we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Gratitude is one of the key markers of having faith in Jesus. And Paul is filled with gratitude because of two beautiful and eternal truths. Are you ready? God chose them and he called them. Let's look at the first. God chose them from the beginning. Uh, Ephesians 1, chapter chapter 1, verse 4 says the same thing. Uh, For he, that's God, chose us in him, that's Jesus, before the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless in love before him. Before the earth was made, before the mountains were formed, 
before the seas were filled with water, before everything that has breath was given life, God chose them to be saved. And he saved them through the spirit and belief in the word. Uh, sorry, belief in the truth. Now, that means that it's not a result of their salvation. It's the means or the method by which they are saved. Why is the spirit and truth the means? Because we, by nature, believe the lie. This is how Paul again describes it in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. He says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked, according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. Paul is not talking about physically dead people, because people who sin are physically alive. He's speaking about spiritually dead people. Just as one who is dead cannot contact people who are living, the one who is spiritually dead cannot contact the true and living God. So rather than seek God and um, understand God and find God and believe in God, rather than follow God, we follow the ruler of the air. That's Satan. Or as Jesus calls him, the father of lies. And so this is why we need the transforming work of the Spirit. So we may turn from following the lies to believe in the truth. You see, the Spirit is at work in us before we have faith in Jesus. The Spirit of God softens our hearts. The Spirit of God convicts us of sin. The Spirit of God brings us to a point where we may believe in the truth, so that we may ask for, so we may have faith and ask for forgiveness. Because that's our responsibility. Faith and repentance, asking for forgiveness, is when we take on the responsibility of our sin for ourselves and turn to Jesus, the only one who can forgive us. You know, I love hearing people's journeys to faith in Jesus. At the beginning of this year at church at 6.30, we had 10 consecutive weeks where we heard these brilliant testimonies of all diverse people with diverse backgrounds and how they all came to have faith in Jesus, in the same, uh, in the same Jesus. And in the most beautiful way, Paul here is lifting back the curtain of time to show us that someone's journey to faith starts in eternity past, in the beginning when God chose them. But it's not just eternity past, God works in the present. Have a look at verse 14. He called you to this through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has always accomplished his plan through human agents. And when we share the gospel with people we love, God calls them, he invites them, and he beckons to come, them to come to him. Which means convincing others is not our job. No, that's God's job. He convinces us and them so that we may obtain the glory of Jesus. Jen Wilkett is a Christian writer from Texas. And she explains sharing in the glory of Jesus is to receive all the promises of the new creation. A perfect body because there is no sickness. Perfect relationships, because there is no pain. Everlasting life, because there is no death. And standing in the presence of God, 
because there is no more sin. This is the beauty and promises of the new creation, which we will receive when Jesus returns. Which means the love of God is not just a a warm and fuzzy feeling. It's the foundation of our eternal security. You see, if God chose you in the beginning, it means that your doubts are not stronger than his love for you. If God chose you in the beginning, before creation, it means even when you sin, God doesn't abandon you. If God chose you in eternity past, it means in Jesus, he will keep you secure until eternity in the future and into glory. Now, I understand that this teaching of God choosing and God calling causes some debate amongst Christians. But notice that Paul doesn't see it as a debate. It's the foundation of our eternal assurance. It's security and it's stability until future glory. This week I was researching the most secure places on earth and I came across, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Svalbard Global Seed Vault. That's what that photo is. It's in Greenland. It's a bunker. They've hidden the, uh, the actual location of it. It's built 150 metres into the mountain. Uh, it stores a sample of nearly every seed on earth and most and DNA samples of most of the animals on earth. It keeps them safe and secure and stable so that if there was a nuclear attack, this bunker would survive and life could be restarted again. They actually call it the Doomsday Vault. That's how secure it is. And Paul is saying, for those who trust Jesus, who repent of their sins and are saved, that their salvation is more secure than this vault because their salvation lasts for eternity. So friends, can I ask you, how do you know that God loves you? How do you know that God is pleased with you? How do you know that God will keep you secure until eternity? Well, it's because of these two beautiful eternal truths. God chose you and God called you so that you could be secure in you. Um, back in 1987, a pilot, Henry Dempsey, was flying a small commuter plane. It was just him and a co-pilot over the Atlantic Ocean. They heard a strange noise in the back of the plane, and so Dempsey went up to investigate. But the back door of the plane flew open, and he fell out halfway. Uh, He actually caught the back step on that back door of the plane. And so he hung on 4,000 feet above the Atlantic Ocean, travelling 200 miles an hour, and he hung on for dear life. When his co-pilot noticed what happened, he did an emergency landing and Dempsey was still hanging on to that back step. And he was alive. This is him here. My point is this. If that step failed, it doesn't matter how strong Dempsey is. He would have been lost. But because that back step lasted the whole journey, he was saved. Friends, What are you holding on to to stand firm for Jesus? If our faith is in God's hands and our salvation is secure, then what do we actually do? Well, 
the message of the Bible is not let go and let God. It's not nestle, don't wrestle with God. It's not you are free to sin as much as you want and put your, heel, your feet up. God calls us to dig our fingers into these truths and to hang on to them. Have a look at verse 15. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught, whether by what we said or what we wrote. And the word so there at the beginning of verse 15 uh, means that this command is based on the truths that have gone before it. And so the command is to stand firm in their faith, digging their heels on, holding tight to the traditions that Paul taught them. Now, traditions aren't inherently evil. Some traditions, like the traditions of the Pharisees, Jesus rejected. But other traditions that are taught cultivate in us a dependency on God's grace. And this is what Paul's talking about. Because the traditions that he taught them is the gospel, the saving message of Jesus. And so holding firm to the gospel preserves our faith so that we can stand firm for Jesus. It's not the strength of our faith that makes us stand firm. It's the strength of what we are holding onto. These eternal truths that enable us to stand firm. And this is so important because we live in a culture of rugged individualism. Things that we value, you know, things like personal freedom or authenticity or self-expression, uh, they are promoted to primary status in our world. And so we're taught to sacrifice all other things so we can be free and real and true to ourselves. And so whether we're aware of it or not, this creates a self-dependency in us that you will only find success or fulfillment or peace in life by the things that you can achieve. But what happens when those things are taken away? What happens when you suffer in life? What happens when you're persecuted for your faith? What happens when you are wooed by false teaching? What happens when you're tempted to sin? You will convince yourself that your salvation is secure in only what you can achieve. You'll see a weakness in your faith and it will consume you. Friends, self-dependency is a cancer in the Christian life. It starts off small by convincing us that our salvation rests on the strength of our faith. It grows as our spiritual di disciplines become achievements to mark off and it eventually consumes us as all the times that we have failed God convince us that either we're not worthy enough for God or he's not good enough for us. But the gospel gives us a bigger and better picture, a more beautiful picture of following Jesus. Because it's not based on our love for God, but as we've already seen, his love for us. We don't hold firm to our achievements, we hold firm to the truth of the gospel. That's because the gospel, the truth of the gospel, calls us to live a life of obedience. It doesn't mean we're free to live however we want. Rather, it calls us to submit to God because He knows what's best for our lives. The truth of the gospel means that we don't blindly accept everything that is said by God. We don't put our brain on pause when we enter church. 
we gather together and we wrestle with our questions. We find answer for our doubts. The truth of the gospel means that at the heart of our relationship with God is ongoing faith and repentance. For those who have repented of their sin and trust in Jesus alone, it doesn't mean every time we sin we're kicked out of God's family. It doesn't mean we need to become a Christian again. And it definitely means, doesn't mean, sorry, get this one clear, doesn't mean that Jesus needs to die for our sin again. Doesn't mean. It means that we need to be reminded of the mercy of God and continue to live in relationship with Him through faith and repentance. And so every Sunday we gather together to remind one another of this mercy, to remind one another that God has not abandoned one another, oh, abandoned each other, to remind one another of the free forgiveness and lead one another back to Jesus. So friends, do you feel uncertain about whether you will make it to the end? Which one of these truths do you need to hold to today to bring stability to your faith? Is it the choosing and calling of God? Is it the sanctifying work of the Spirit? Is it the promise of future glory and how good that will be? Or is it simply the gospel and the mercy and free forgiveness of God? Paul's given us the motivation, stand firm, a command to stand firm, and now he finishes with an example. Have a look at chapter 3, verse 5. We're going to jump to the end of our reading. May the Lord direct your hearts to God's love and Christ's endurance. God give us, uh, oh, sorry, to Christ's endurance. God gives us stability, not just in his eternal love, but he gives us an example to follow. That's his son, Jesus Christ. Christ is the perfect example of stability, of standing firm, of enduring. He endured poverty, suffering, pain, rejection, mocking, torture, even death. He endured all those things for us so that we could be forgiven of our sin and have a right relationship with God so that we um, could be held by God. And, he, and God calls us to follow his example. In Mark 14, it recalls the night before Jesus was crucified. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. In the Garden, Jesus looks ahead to the cross. And considering the pain and the torture that awaits him, he then looks to his heavenly Father. He considers God's eternal plan and he joyfully receives the will of the Father and endures to the end. He gives us an example to follow so that when we suffer for the sake of Jesus, we look to Jesus and see that suffering for him is worth it. When we're tempted, we look, for, we look to Jesus and hold fast to the truth, seeking to serve God and not man. When we sin, when we're filled with all this guilt, we look to Jesus because it's his death on the cross that, where we find our mercy and forgiveness and he welcomes us back. You see, we are tempted to buy into the lie 
that if I trust God, sorry, if I trust Jesus, then God will make my life easy. Life will be beer and skittles if I trust Jesus. But notice that Jesus himself did not have an easy life. Jesus suffered. Jesus was tortured. Jesus was abandoned by his friends. Yet he still trusted his heavenly Father and endured to the end. Not some alpha male, white knuckle, self-dependent Christianity, but a life that finds strength and stability in God and his eternal purposes. A stable faith is one that holds on to Jesus and his gospel and comes back to God time and time and time again. Holding on to Jesus time and time and time again. Returning to Jesus time and time. You get the point. Remember what John Stott said? Stability is due entirely to confidence in the stability of God's loving purpose. It's only because God is steadfast that we can be steadfast too. I think the beauty of this passage is that it reminds us that life will be hard. Following Jesus will be harder. And as we wait for him to return, we need patience. We need steadfastness. We need to stand firm in our faith. And he provides that for us in his son, Jesus. You know, I used to go to church with a woman called Frances. I met Frances in her 80s, um, and she had been walking with Jesus for over 60 years. She loved to teach Sunday school, but when she got older, her legs didn't have the strength to be getting up and down in Sunday school, so then she became a growth group leader. She loved being a growth group leader. After a couple of years, she struggled to concentrate, and so um, she stopped being a growth group leader, and then she led the team for prayers on a Sunday in church. After she couldn't lead the team, she prayed during the week. They said, when you get on Francis's prayer list, you never drop off. When she passed away a few years ago, they found her prayer list. It contained every adult in church. Before she passed away, I visited Frances and I asked her, in the past 60 years or so, what has kept you holding on to Jesus? She said, it's nothing more than God's eternal love and my saviour. Let's conclude. Friends, where will you look to for encouragement and strength this year? This week? For the next 10 years? For the next 50 years? When the bills pile up, when work is consuming your life, where will you find encouragement and strength? When the chronic illness won't leave or the depression comes back, where will you look for encouragement and strength? When you fall into sin time and time again, where will you look to for strength? Today we've seen that it comes from the love of God holding on to the truth and the example of Jesus. So let me go back to those three questions. Where do you need to be reminded that God loves you and holds you secure for eternity? Which of the truths that we have looked at this afternoon do you need to be reminded of? Finally, where do you look for strength? 
Do you look to yourself? Or do you look to your Saviour, Jesus Christ? Where will you find strength as you wait for Jesus to return? To finish with, uh, I thought I'd do something a little bit different. There's a beautiful kind of prayer in the middle of these uh, of our Bible reading, and so I thought we might say these aloud together as a prayer and to encourage one another. So let's say these words out loud together. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. Amen.